0: Hello, and welcome to The Consistency Project with E.C. Sinkowski. My name is Patrick Cummings, and every episode, I have the privilege of having a discussion with E.C. on subject matters that range from nutrition to fitness to the choices we can all make to live a healthier, more functional life by exploring both the principles at play and the actions worth carrying out as a result. It's our goal to get you thinking, get you moving, and get you taking more consistent steps toward optimizing your well-being. Thank you, as always, for tuning into the show. How are you, E.C.? Good. How are you doing? Um, um, excellent. Thank you. We are going to talk about what I imagine, and I think we're going to get into this early. What I imagine is something that a lot of people say to you, <laughs> which is things were going great and now things are not going great. And I'm not entirely sure why. Um, and obviously specifically about uh, diet and nutrition. So let's get into this. What do we need to know to, st- to just start this conversation about uh, why or when diet, nutrition plans seem to stop being as effective as we'd like them to be? Totally.
1: Yeah, I find that this message issue really resonates with a lot of my clients, um, you know, that they've done them all. They've done paleo, they've done zone, they've done low carb, they've done low fat, they've done no sugar, all the stuff. You name it, you list it, they've done it. And they'll find some initial success with it. And then the diet stops working. And so I think one of the things we have to first consider is, well, what does stop working mean? It usually means that the person's either hit a plateau, so they wanted more weight loss than they saw, and or the person has regained weight back that they had lost. So that's how I interpret stops working. Um, And we find that's true with a lot of different diets and weight loss scenarios. A a surprising number of people regain the weight which they lost, which we talked about this a bit more in detail in that recent episode on the newer weight loss drug, um, semaglutide. So Absent of that biological trigger that's really driving our appetite and cravings in this modern food environment that we have, um, which is certainly going to be a big part of the problem here, I want to talk about it, no surprise, from just a diet and lifestyle perspective, why does that diet start work, stop working? And I think that there's something really interesting, too, about this effect of it seems like new things work, but mm. when you go back to that new thing and it's no longer new, it doesn't work. So kind of what's the phenomenon there?
0: Got it. Cool. Okay. So in advance of this, as you sometimes do, uh, you send me some notes on, uh, kind of like the two or three big things you want to make sure we hit on. So, um, here's what they are, uh, or these are the the common reasons why a diet, um, stops working for us. One, uh, you are no longer in a deficit. Mm-hmm. Number two, you are no longer following the diet, <laughs> which is both funny. And I imagine often, uh, the case and number mm-hmm. three, you don't understand how the diet works. So let's go first thing first. You are no longer in a deficit. I think we've talked about that certainly quite a bit, but, um, but like, what is that and why does that happen?
1: Yeah. And I think this is really related to the idea of weight plateaus. Like the diet stops working in the sense of like, you maybe lost five pounds, but you wanted to lose 10 pounds type of scenario. Um, and this is because as you become a smaller body you need fewer calories so we have to remember that fat tissue is an alive functioning organ that it needs calories for its various processes even though you might not want it there it still needs calories just like any other cell in your body and so when you lose it you also don't need the calories to support that function anymore and this is Also true that when you lose weight, you do lose some lean tissue. As much as we want to try to lose only fat, that's not actually how it shakes out. We are going to lose a little bit of fat, um, lean tissue. Now, by keeping the protein high enough, we certainly can bias that to mostly fat, but you will lose some lean tissue. So in the combination there, you've lost mostly fat and some lean tissue, which of course needs calories to survive, and therefore you need fewer calories. The other thing that's leading into this fewer calories as a smaller body that I think people forget about is every time you take a step, you're moving less mass. if you've lost 5 pounds, that might not seem like much, but I encourage you to wear a weight vest that's 5 pounds per a day and by the end you're going to see that you're significantly more tired. So not just do you have less active tissue, but you're moving a smaller body through space throughout the day in your workouts and all the different steps you do. And so this is why all else being equal, smaller bodies need fewer calories as I've said before. So, you know, if you started at 170 pounds, let's say, and you're eating 2000 calories a day, you might get down to that I don't know, 165 pounds and plateau. What that means is that 2000 calories was a deficit at 170 pounds, but it's now a maintenance number at 165. What once was a deficit is now a maintenance. People are often shocked or surprised to hear that. What once was a deficit is now your maintenance. And so you might perceive that the diet stopped working when actually in reality, it's it's worked just as it should. It's just that you're no longer in a deficit. You're no longer, quote, dieting in the sense of you don't have this caloric deficit around. So that's a lot of the reason in terms of this plateau and why people think the diet stops working. It's just that, no, 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 you actually need fewer calories. And so are oftentimes the targeted number of calories is a moving target downward.
0: Mm, got it. Okay, the second one that you sent over is you are no longer following the diet. Again, conceptually, like that's, that's okay. Got it. Yeah. Uh, and I know I'm laughing at it and I don't, I know it's not funny for some people, but, um, but let's, let's talk about what that looks like in actual application.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah. Again, it's very easy to understand conceptually, but how does this shake out kind of day to day? And so I had done a social media post that was basically like why the diet stops working. And I actually got back a couple of responses or messages that I thought really will resonate with this audience. One was about paleo and one was actually about the 800 gram challenge. And so I kind of wanted to step through them. The first was one was about paleo and I'm going to kind of paraphrase here, but they said that they started CrossFit and the gym did a paleo challenge in 2014 and it was very strict. They lost close to 20 pounds in a month and in total about 25 pounds over six months where it then leveled off. And then, so now they're about a 60% paleo eater and the weight has crept back despite four to five days a week of a crossfit routine. So that's kind of the scenario they presented to me and I think it brings up a few good points. The the first one we actually just went over, the note about leveling off, right? Now I don't actually know how many pounds they wanted to lose, but they said, "Hey, they got to 25 pounds lost and they leveled off." Again, that's not because the diet worked. It's no, 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 those combinations of food that you were choosing on that diet is the maintenance number of calories at that new weight. I'm not saying the person didn't understand that. I just kind of want to rehighlight that. The second one though, Um, especially after we did that episode on the book, Burn, Um, exercise, even CrossFit, is a relatively small portion of the total number of calories you burn every day. So it's not contributing a huge amount when we want to look at this overall calories in and calories out. And so when we just sort of think about, well, I'm doing all of this exercise and it's not paying off in weight loss, it's a small overall percentage and we tend to eat back anything excess that we burned off such that it becomes a relatively poor weight loss strategy if you're not paying attention to intake. And I hear this a lot with people. They'll kind of tell me their exercise routine, but they don't tell me as much about what they're tracking in terms of their diet. Mm -hmm. So that that point I wanted to touch on as well. But the real answer, they already gave it themselves, right? They went from, quote, very strict paleo to a 60% paleo eater now. And this will dovetail with the third reason that we're going to get into, but very strict paleo, I think to 60% paleo, basically means they're now eating some type of processed foods. They've probably allowed some of these treats, whether or not paleo approved or not, but more of the processed goodies back into the diet. And the takeaway here is not that all processed foods are bad or not that we all have to be strict paleo to see success, but that processed foods are very, very hard to get the quantity right, if you aren't weighing and measuring everything. And of course, as we discussed in the paleo episode, you don't have to weigh and measure everything in that diet. So when they give these percentages, and this is really classic too, people talk about like I'm 80 20 or I'm a 60% mm-hmm. paleo eater. It's like, what does this really mean in terms of the total number of calories? You know, 60% paleo foods, that doesn't tell us how many calories you're taking in in terms of the paleo approved items. And it also doesn't tell us how many calories you're taking in in terms of what are those. What is that, 40%? <laughs> and I'm willing to bet that it's the calories that are represented by what they're describing as the 40% are just too high. It's too many of the processed goodies, and therefore the weight is creeping back up. Now, this is super, super common occurrence with the diet, with diets is that we tend to start really strict. And then over time, we tend to loosen the reins, Mm -hmm. we tend to get a little bit more lax about these things. And it's the exact same thing I did with paleo, like I was really strict, nothing processed, no sugar, all of that stuff. And then lo and behold, I'm making like coconut, (laughs) dark chocolate truffles a few times a week that are paleo approved, you know, (laughs) convincing myself I'm doing the diet correctly. So why does this happen? I think we like these foods. We've talked about it a lot, right? We like these calorically dense processed foods. They're around us all of the time. And so we try to find these loopholes in the diet to get to work them back in. Just like I'm like, oh no, it's cacao powder and it's coconut and it's no you know <laughs> processed sugar. It's totally paleo. We try to work back in these foods that we were overeating. And, and so this is like a big thing with diets is i I don't really love the approach of we're going to eliminate all the foods that we love, because it ultimately ends this scenario is somehow they end up creeping back in. So I'd much rather it be like, okay, hey, we're going to probably have to cut back on these foods that we love. But we certainly want to figure out a strategy to include them in a dose that is in line with our goals. Um, And so that's really, I think, what's happening there is that they weren't really following the diet, um, in the sense of they weren't really understanding that All of the choices that they were making and how that was affecting their overall calories. The second person who commented, again, what's really interesting is is both of them sort of answered their own questions. This one was about the 800-gram challenge. Paraphrasing here, they said, the 800-gram challenge, when it worked well last year, they went from a size 10 to a 4 in two months. They maintained a size 4 for about six months and then fell off tracking during the holidays. They redid the 800-gram challenge in February and March and nothing Uh, weight has been going up about a half pound to one pounds a week. And then they were questioning, is it my age? Is it my hormones? I have no idea. All I know is if something works once, it never works again. Mm. I think what's so interesting there is they say they have no idea, but they already said the answer, right? What was the problem? They fell off track. (laughs) I fell off tracking during the holidays. Right. And so when they went back in February and March, the entire diet, not just the fruit and vegetables. So they think they're sticking to the diet because they're still hitting the fruits and vegetables, just like the prior person thinks they're sticking to the diet because it's all paleo-approved. This person thinks they're sticking to the diet because it's still fruits and vegetables. But their entire diet, which includes things beyond the fruits and vegetables, are not the same quite combination of when they started the diet. It's more likely the more lax the second time around that they know, oh, I can get in these fruits and veggies and I can still have this much wine or this many other goodies that mm-hmm. we like.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, the third one. You don't understand how the diet works.
1: Yeah, I don't think I totally need to belabor this. I kind of already was getting at it with that last point. But I think what happens is you think you're still doing the diet because you're following these various rules. Like I am not eating grains, legumes, and dairy. So therefore I'm still doing paleo. And maybe you are by the paleo definition, but you're not understanding how your entire food choices are shifting your calories or macros and quality favorably or unfavorably. Um, Same thing with the 800 gram challenge. Yes, I'm eating my fruits and vegetables, but you're not understanding all of your food choices and how they align to those three endpoints, calories, macros, and quality. And so this is really kind of the big problem. You think that these diets are working in different ways and not seeing how they're getting after or not getting after those endpoints that we talk about really in the three pillars episode, but in a lot of our episodes.
0: Okay. So this, this brings me to, uh, um, Instagram person, I don't know what else to call them. The person on Instagram who said, you know, uh, it worked once and now it's not working again. So why, why, you know, and I imagine that that's common. Why is it something that the the novelty r- brings effectiveness wh- and then when it's not novel, mm-hmm. when it's no longer new, somehow magically, <laughs> unfortunately, it seems to stop working. What's going on there?
1: Yeah. If calories still apply, right, in either <laughs> yeah. in either scenario, how is it that somebody who knows less about the diet gets it right almost randomly right. or by chance? Yeah right out of the gates. It is kind of an interesting phenomenon, but I just love- like a beginner's
0: luck of some kind. Totally,
1: totally. Like I happened to get this combination right. And I just love that quote. All I know is if something works once, it never works again. There is something about newness and novelty that works. Uh, We've talked about this with kind of shiny objects. They're so attracting. No surprise, it turns out there is a dopamine response to novelty. So dopamine, that's a neurotransmitter that is kind of like the motivation and reinforcement one. It tells us to keep doing the thing that we just did, but we also have this dopamine response to learning new things. Now, from an evolutionary perspective, this really makes sense. I mean, if we want to be motivated to learn new things, because that might've helped us learn where more resources are or better ways to do things or, or whatever it might be to make our situation better. So it certainly makes sense why we are wired to like new things, and why we're even motivated to try new things. And so that's also going to be at play when we start a new diet, kind of like that first account when they went very strict Paleo. I have a feeling that when we start these new diets is that lots of other things clean up, if you will, in the diet besides just making the Paleo perfect choices even though they maybe could have paleo treats, that's not the original intent. They're stoked on these new rules. They're finding out the new foods. They're finding out why they're working for them. And so all these other aspects start to change in their life as well. They tend to get rid of those processed foods and be like, no, that's not part of the diet. I would even argue that they probably have some motivation to go to sleep earlier, right? And are more into their exercise routine and and stuff like that. And then of course, the newness starts to wear off and therefore, we have a little bit less of the motivation. But I think the first time out of the gates, we do have more motivation, which then makes us basically better adhere to the diet in a tighter form. And when okay, you come so, back to it, you don't have that same intensity, passion, level of detail, attention to detail.
0: Yeah. So that that feeds into my question, which is then how do we keep that? Right. How do we How do we keep that, the benefits of that newness, right? The dopamine that comes with that newness and that novelty, how do we bring that or keep that? when we get into the phase of anything really but but diet or fitness or whatever else where it where that newness wears off a bit and now we're kind of into the whatever we want to call it, the kind of the grinding mode of it. Um, yeah. How do we do that?
1: Yeah, I mean I think there's no surprise two ways to go with this kind of in opposite ends. One would be to kind of lean into the newness and try to find keyword here, keywords here, meaningful ways to increase newness. And the other way would be to take away the newness or take away the attraction to newness. So the first way Mm -hmm. of like leaning into the newness in meaningful ways What I mean by that is, okay, like we know calories matter. We know macronutrient distribution matters. We know quality matters. That's not going away. Those are the constraints, as we discussed, that will remain. Within those constraints, what are different meals and food choices that still allow you to fit those endpoints? And this is where a lot of kind of the kitchen prep cooking flavorings is really going to be the way that you can create newness. There's no shortage of cookbooks. (laughs) There's no shortage of websites. There's no shortage of like how to improve different cooking skills from either like knife techniques to preparing your steak, you name it, somebody's made an entire career out of it. And so it's finding different combinations of let's say two cups of fruits and veggies at each main meal and a protein source that is more interesting to you. And I think a lot of us probably have five, 10 recipes that we sort of use on repeat. Can you imagine just adding five more new recipes, what that can do in terms of newness and excitement? (laughs) Maybe it's still 30, 40, 5 grams of protein, something like that, and two cups of fruits and veggies, but at least it's now a little bit more interesting. And so I would encourage people to invest the time and energy into making the diet new by way of flavor combinations. And oh, I really haven't used fish or seafood much for my protein sources, versus trying these other things, which I think are a little bit less meaningful, like I'm going to cut out dairy in, in entirety, or I'm going to only eat protein with carb sources, or, or stuff like that, that doesn't really get after the endpoints in the same way. So that's one one avenue. And I think also too, like find new areas for takeout that meet those needs, all of that stuff. That's the way to go with more newness. The other way is take away the newness mm-hmm. <laughs> of diets. And I think The point is here is let's get you to the point where you aren't looking for the new diet. And when a new diet comes along, you already know how and why it's working before you try it. You already know, okay, I heard these rules of don't eat it at this time or only eat these types of foods, how that's going to change your calories, macros, and quality also in light of your food preferences, tendencies, and habits you know it's like okay if the if the rule is don't eat at this certain time and you already know well i always do family dinner together maybe you know that that diet probably won't shake out well for you in the long term in terms of habits and so we want to get past the point of looking at these different diets as though they're working in different ways i know the marketing is uh, pretty powerful and it tries to hype you up on that but in reality if you can try to see past that and again How is it changing your diet in those calories, macros, and quality? I think you are going to be better off. You know, as an example, yes, the 800-gram challenge is new in terms of the name, and I think there's some newness in terms of a target, and I think there's some newness in the rule structure that allows for some good sustainability but it's certainly not new in why it works. And I think I've been fairly transparent about that, right? Like mm-hmm. what does it help you do? It helps you fill up on low calorie items and therefore it pushes out or tends to push out us overeating the processed foods we love. It's certainly not new in how it works. And so if you can't kind of do that decoding, I guess, for lack of a better word, for paleo or keto or Octavia or plant-based or animal-based or name whatever diet trend there is, if you can't see how those rules are shifting your calories, macros, and quality, you're going to keep being attracted to that shiny thing. You're going to keep thinking there's something new here, where if we can take away that magic to it, you'll probably be less attracted to do that new diet, right? And uh, of course, I'm going to recommend my masterclass is a great way to do that. Um, I know that this is the time of year when we're encouraging people to sign up for the the January cohort. I think what's maybe unique about the masterclass is you definitely have enough time to really see this shake out. We have several weeks together now, months to, to look at your data and understand how your food choices are playing into that. And it's really with the lens of helping you kind of decode diets, not necessarily like I think you have to do the 800 gram challenge and all that stuff. So not to mention too much of a plug here, but that's ultimately what you want from like any sort of nutrition course is understanding how these work such that you're not continuously in this diet cycle of what's the next new thing, what's the next new thing.
0: Okay. I've got some questions. Yeah. The (laughs) the first one, uh, and maybe it's the big one and maybe the the other questions won't matter after we talk about this, but it strikes me that in everything you just said, there is a, an element or a degree or a need certainly for increased self-awareness, self-awareness around, oh, things don't seem to be working. And why is that self-awareness around, I keep getting attracted to the new diet for this reason or that, like just being more self-aware of what's happening can start to lead to, I think some of the solutions to the kind of the three big points you've, you made here in terms of why diet stop working. I don't know if we've ever really talked about self-awareness here, but Mm. I'm curious your thoughts on what you think about as it relates to self-awareness, as it relates to diet or even fitness to be more broad um, and where that comes in and how, if, how, if you can, uh, give some advice on like, how can we increase that self-awareness so that we, f- we are, we fall vi- so that we fall victim to some of these traps less often.
1: Yeah. That's a great point. It's actually something I say to my master class students all the time is, you know, you know, your habits better than I will ever know them as a coach. And so you have to call yourself out a little bit in nutrition. You have to call yourself out like, hey, this this is what I'm doing. I'm doing paleo, but I'm eating a lot of chocolate truffles or (laughs) paleo-approved chocolate truffles. (laughs) You know, like you kind of – I think a lot of times people already know what the issue is. And that self-awareness to be like, no, 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 I've probably at this point, you know, done 15 diets – it's probably not another diet that's not working. It's probably I'm not adhering to them or I'm letting myself slide on the, keeping the house clear of them. I'm getting more lax on that. Um, And so having that self-awareness is, is huge just because again, you're going to know your habits and weaknesses better than anyone else. Oh, I'm letting my bedtime slide. So I'm always tired the next day. So I always start off the next day with a donut to make me feel better. And therefore the rest Mm -hmm. of the day goes to hell. Like there's lots of that stuff where you guys kind of already know, where you're letting yourself have, I think too much wiggle room and how to make some great improvements for sure.
0: So how does, how does a person kind of check themselves mm. specifically as it relates to the debt, right? The the paleo brownies, we've all been there. <laughs> uh, we've all had the period of, yes. of the paleo brownies in our lives yeah. and the paleo pancakes and the fill totally. in the blanks. So like, do you have any maybe mm. strategies or tactics or methods? Cause it, this feeds into one of my other questions, which is just like, when we, the, the, the first one we talked about, which is like, you're no longer in a deficit. Mm-hmm. So like, at, how frequently should we be checking in on ourselves, on our progress, on our behaviors really to, to so that we can, so that we can kind of uh, uh, fix our course if we feel like we've gotten off course a little bit. Is yeah. it, I imagine it's not like every day, but it's <laughs> right. probably not every year, right? right? Or somewhere in between there where I imagine it's beneficial to say, okay, like, let me take a real honest stock of what I'm doing, what I thought I was doing, what I'm quote unquote supposed to be doing, where am I in there and what do I need to change in order to bring myself back to where, to, to that kind of that right spot.
1: Yeah, I was, I was thinking about that before this recording. And I think it actually reminds me of one of the coaching calls we did with somebody um, talking about, you know, how to dine out without stressing out. But it's this idea of like, you have to pick an amount in your mind that you're willing for, in this case, it's because it's normally about weight, how much you're willing for your weight to slide is how I would do it, right? Like, Mm. Let's say that five pounds is kind of the the limit at which you're like, okay, (laughs) it's not working anymore, right? I think five pounds is, I don't want to say that's a perfect number. Certainly, you know, somebody can slide to 10 and get back there relatively quickly as well. I think once you start getting over 10 pounds, it, it just gets more increasingly difficult to make a change. So somewhere in the five to 10 pound range, I think is useful because it's enough to know that something has slid. But it's certainly not as much of a mountain to climb, again, as as the weight continues to increase past there. And maybe you don't use the weight, because again, the scale can drive us a little bit mad. Maybe you know, you just have a pair of fitted pants (laughs) that you try on every month or so and Mm -hmm. see how it's going, something like that. But I think it's sort of, picking an amount that is still doable to get back to where you want to be and not insurmountable. Because once it gets insurmountable, we then have to deal with a lot of that motivation stuff to get restarted. So I think somewhere in that five to 10 pounds, again, depending on kind of frame and stature will dictate a good place to check in with and and realize, hey, I got to call myself out here and, and change some of what I'm doing.
0: Uh, last question is you talked a little bit about, and we've talked about it in the past, but talking a little bit about rules and loopholes mm. um, and how sometimes, how oftentimes when there are rules, we will eventually look for loopholes to kind of get <laughs> ourselves through those. Yeah. Can you just really briefly, because I feel like it, it, it's an important thing to kind of couch this conversation. And can you just talk a little bit about your thoughts on diets that have rules, mm. why they're sometimes beneficial and why sometimes they work? uh, against our, our ultimately what the goals that we have, we have for ourselves.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting why we want to break away from a rule structure, which is helping us or could simplify mm-hmm. it. That's what the diet rules do. They really try to simplify the physiology. Like I, I think we said on the, one of the fasting episodes, I have a love hate relationship with fasting. I love it because theoretically it could simplify this nutrition mess drastically for people, right? Like Let's stop counting all the things. Let's stop worrying about food labels. Just eat at these certain times. So it certainly can um, make it simple. The problem is it doesn't fit with life. Life is too variable for us to have these black and white yes and no rules all the time. And so I think that's ultimately why we start looking for these loopholes is there's no Nobody who can have the same meals every day, same time every day. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say nobody, very few people who can follow the same thing every day, the exact same meals, the exact same timing, the exact same combination, and really stick to it or exclude foods forever. And so we end up wanting a lot of flexibility where the rules really force us into this rigidity.
0: Got it. All right. Thank you, EC. That was great. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. EC and I will be back for another episode of The Consistency Project next week.
1: Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I know there is a ton of content out there, and I'm really grateful that you took the time to listen to The Consistency Project. If you enjoyed the show, I appreciate you leaving a five-star rating and review. And sharing it on social media or recommending it to your friends and family really does help the podcast grow. As the podcast grows, I can keep bringing you weekly content. And if you want even more bonus content, you can join my email list at optimizemenutrition.com email. There's weekly emails, and it's also the best way to get your questions answered on the podcast. Just hit reply to any email to get in the queue, or even just send ideas in for future podcast episodes. Again, to do that, join my email list at optimizemenutrition.com slash email, and the link is also in the show notes. I'll see you there.